0: As I read through this passage of Scripture, this third chapter of the second epistle of Peter, I hope you were able to discern something of Peter's pastoral heart. I think this is something that we see as we read through all of Peter's writings. Uh, Peter, in one sense, is a pastor at heart. He has very much concern for the people that Jesus Christ bled and died for. He has very much a concern for the people that are referred to as the sheep of Christ. And so we see this as we go through uh, the epistles of Peter. We'll take a look at that in, in a particular way here in a few moments but the thing that Peter really centers our attention on is the reality of Jesus Christ's coming return. Jesus Christ in that he is coming for his church once again even as he's promised. this is the very thing that that creates in one sense the very centerpiece of this chapter. We have scoffers and mockers who are denying this. We have those who are saying that uh, it shall never come. We have those in one sense who are even, again, uh, taking issue, mocking and scoffing at the very promise of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Peter emphasizes the reality that Jesus Christ shall indeed return in glory. And so what we want to do here today then is we want to take a look at the first two verses of this chapter and see how Peter prepares our hearts uh, for this reality of our Lord's return. And so I direct your attention uh, to uh, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3. And notice once again what Peter says here. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles, of the Lord and Savior. In this passage of Scripture, what the apostle is doing is he is, by way of design, stirring up our minds, stirring up our pure minds by way of remembrance. And the purpose of stirring up our pure minds by way of remembrance is that we might again live in light of the fact that Jesus Christ is indeed coming back. He is coming back to establish his kingdom. He is coming back to establish his lordship and his rule over all things. So this reality of Jesus Christ coming back to this earth is something that Peter draws great attention to and great focus to. The other thing that we see here, though, is this. Is that you and I, as the people of God, have to be often reminded of these things. He has to stir us up. He has to stir the mind. And so what we'll do today then is we'll take a look at Peter's uh, attempt and Peter's uh, work in stirring up uh, our minds in order that we might have these truths uh, before us forever, uh, before us always. And what I want to do is I want to work this passage of Scripture, as we often do, in three primary points. And the first thing that we'll take a look at is that Peter gives us this stirring up, we might say. He he arouses us on the basis of his pastoral love for the people that God has given to him. As I said before, Peter, in a very real way, is a true pastor, and we'll consider that. The second thing I want you to see from this passage of Scripture is that that this passage of Scripture uh, is given to us and Peter is stirring us up because we all have a tendency to neglect the things that are essential to the well-being of our soul. We might not think that that's the case, but we find very often in the Scripture that the people of God neglect their soul, that the people of God leave off those things that are most important. And so Peter says, it is my responsibility, it is my calling, it is my duty to stir up your pure minds. The third thing that I want to show you from this passage of Scripture is that this stirring up of the mind is given to us because it's the commandment of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the commandment of the Lord Jesus Christ here is kind of interesting because it involves not only those moral commands that he makes upon the soul. He says in that one place in Matthew chapter 5, be perfect as your Father in heaven is is perfect. He gives other commands, repent and believe the gospel. But what we're going to see is that the command that our Lord is really focusing on, or that Peter is focusing on here in this third chapter, is that commandment, that promise that Jesus Christ is going to return. And it's that promise that unbelievers scoff at. It's that promise that unbelievers find as an object of mockery. But it's that promise that the people of God hold on to in spite of all the challenges that may come against us. And so again, you need to be stirred in this. You need to have your minds aroused concerning this truth. And that's what this passage of scripture will be doing for us here. So again, let's take a look then how Peter does this. But before I do that, and I hope you don't mind this, I just want to give a little bit of a brief review of where we've been already in this second epistle, the second epistle of Peter. You remember how he opened up in chapter one and he talked about the basis of the Christian life. And how the basis of the Christian life is built upon the great promises of God in Jesus Christ. Remember how he said that there, was that, that there was that faith that was granted unto you, and through that faith you came to rest and trust in Jesus Christ? This is a great blessing. This is what the gospel is all about, that in the very promise of the gospel is the gift of eternal life. And when that promise of the gospel came to you, you embraced it by faith, and that very faith by which you embraced it, when it was all said and done, you looked at it, and true, it was, a, it was an exercise of your soul, but it was also a gift of God. And you give thanks to God for that. The other thing that we saw in that first chapter was that the Christian life is a very dynamic thing, is it not? It's not static. It's not stagnant. Sometimes we drift into stagnation. That's why we have to be stirred up. But for Peter, this, this Christian life was dynamic. That's why he goes on to say again, add to your faith virtue and add to your vir- virtue temperance. All these things, all these things are added into the Christian life. These graces that fill out the life. And then you remember what he says, again, at the end of that chapter, in chapter 1, he says, or in the middle of the chapter, anyway, he says that if you do these things, an abundant entrance shall be given unto you, given unto you into glory. Imagine that, making it to, to glory, not by the skin of your teeth, but going to heaven with an abundant, ent- uh, abundant entrance. That's what Peter says. And this is because of the dynamism, if we can use that word, of the Christian life. Oh, is it true for you? Have you been adding to your faith virtue? Are Christian graces abounding in your life? They ought to be. And I'm here, again, on the basis of the Word of God, to stir you up into this, to prod you along in these things, to walk in a way that is glorifying the God, that walk in a way that is beneficial to your soul. This is what Peter did in chapter 1. You remember. He came to the end of the chapter. You remember how he drew our attention to the Word of God, these holy men of old that were moved by the Spirit of God to write the Scriptures, all oh, the importance of the Scripture. Everything that he says in each one of these chapters kind of always comes back to the importance of the word of God. He'll do this even in this third chapter. He'll talk about the reality, how that the, the, the writings of the apostles and the prophets remind us of the great glorious promise of Jesus Christ returning for his people. And so again, the emphasis uh, on the, uh, the nature of the Christian life, the, the dynamism of the Christian life, the, the necessity of the word of God. And then all that time we spent uh, in chapter 2, you remember how much time we spent in chapter 2 talking about those false teachers. Remember at least the three things that we saw that that, uh, categorized their sins. Uh, These men are sensual, these men are greedy, these men are arrogant. These men really are in it uh, for themselves. Uh, And again, what makes these men so uh, diabolical is is the fact that they will even use the word of God in order to achieve and to advance their own ends. And again, Peter warns us of them. It's kind of interesting. Peter, in his pastoral responsibility, finds warning to be very uh, center, uh, to be very central into what he as to what he does. And in First Peter, uh, he warns of coming persecution. Matter of fact, I think it's in in First Peter. um, I think it's chapter 1, uh, verse 17. Uh, Peter uh, warns, or I'm sorry, First Peter chapter 1, verse 7. Uh, Peter warns about the coming persecution of the people of God. He says this, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than that of gold which perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found under the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. A couple of things I want you to notice there. Once again, notice that Peter is warning this is really what his pastoral oversight involves. It involves giving these warnings. It involves shepherding the people of God. But did you notice how he, he sets this warning and this encouragement over against the idea of the return of Jesus Christ? In one sense, Peter is very much concerned about the return of Jesus Christ in glory, whether in the first epistle or whether in the second epistle. And so again, Peter warns of the, of the trial of faith that will come your way. I, I hope you're aware of this. I, I hope that you realize that you will not get through this life without having your faith challenged. I hope you're aware that sometimes, in, in some places, uh, some of our brothers and sisters uh, experience this in a very serious way, of, uh, a very uh, a harmful way, we might say, to their bodies, but they stay faithful, don't they? And so, again, don't be surprised. Don't count it a strange thing when people come against you for taking a stand for Jesus Christ. Stop and think, it's just a testimony to the truth of the Christian faith. Here it is on the pages of Scripture, prophesied that it will happen, and there you are experiencing it. And so again, Peter warning in this way. But Peter warned in the second epistle, didn't he? Also in that second chapter. That second chapter was all about the warning of false teachers. And we're going to see again, as we said before, that in this third chapter, he's going to warn against the mockers and the scoffers. And so again, Peter as this pastor, again, is warning his flock, warning those people for whom the Lord Jesus Christ bled and died. It's kind of interesting when we get into the third chapter and as we begin to open it up, uh, what we're going to see are basically four things that all center around uh, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, The first thing that we're going to see is that Peter will give this reminder that he is going to return. He wants that to be in our thinking. That's something that we cannot be ignorant of, so he's going to remind us of that. Uh, The second thing that we're going to see is that this return of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be something that scoffers are going to scoff at. Mockers are going to mock. There you are talking about the glorious return of Jesus Christ. And and there people are scratching their head and wondering, okay, well, what's this all about? But you're holding on to these things. You're you're, you're living life in light of this. And so, again, the the reminder of his turn, but also the scoffing at uh, at his return. The third thing we're going to see in this chapter in weeks to come is the, the timing and the patience of God in this return. You know, it's not as though it's happened already, and it's not as though it's happened in a very quick way. There has been this time gap, hasn't there? From our perspective, a time gap. And again, this is what the scoffers pick up on: where is the promise of his return, and what is this? What's the basis for this? For this "quote unquote" this delay? No delay, really, in the in the, in the purpose of God. But what, from our perspective, what's this? What's the purpose of this? And Peter says very clearly the, purposes, but the purpose of it is the, the long-suffering, the patience of God. Again, that great passage of Scripture, not willing that any should perish. God is long-suffering towards us Word, right, I'm really excited about getting to that ninth verse in, in weeks to come and what that passage of Scripture means. It's kind of interesting. It has a very particular emphasis to it in one respect. You see, when Peter writes, he's saying that God is, is very patient towards us, towards His church, toward the elect. He's calling them in. And then there's this broad aspect about, about, the, about the, the, the activity of God. And again, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. You see, the promises of God are put in these very large categories, but the certainty of these promises are brought very near to the hearts of the elect. It's a wonderful thing to see. So we have the timing of his return. And the last thing that we'll see in this chapter is the, the present effect That his return is to have upon the church and upon each and every one of us. Do you know that the, the, the emphasis over and over again in the scriptures on the return of Jesus Christ is on the present holiness of the people of God. The promise of his return is always to act as a spur or as a motivation to live holy lives here and now. What manner of persons ought ye to be in light of the fact that Jesus Christ is soon coming? You see, this is why the scoffers scoff. They choose according to, I think it was verse 4 there, they want to live according to their own lust. So in order to live according to your own lust, your own desires, what you do away with is, again, any thought of future judgment. What you do away with is any thought that that Jesus Christ is going to return in glory to judge the living and the dead. This great great, uh, great, uh, uh, chief uh, 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 article of the Christian faith. And so again, these scoffers, they will mock and these scoffers, they will deny. But again, the certainty of our Lord's coming is, uh, is, is secure. Well, again, what I want you to see then, let's get back to verses one and two. And I hope you don't mind that little uh, review and overview of, uh, of, the, of the epistle. But let's get back to uh, verses one and two here. And the first thing that I want you to see, as I said before, is the fact of Peter's pastoral heart. And as a matter of fact, we can say he reminds uh, his congregation about the Lord's return because it flows from his pastoral heart. Why do, I see, why do I say that? Well, look what we see here again in verse one. This second epistle, beloved, this second epistle, beloved, I think there's something to be said there and something to mark and something to note. Here is Peter again referring to the people of God as beloved. This is not the only time that he's done this. He's, re- he's referred to them earlier as, as beloved. He's referred to them uh, and in, in the third chapter. We'll see about three or four times he's going to refer to them as beloved. He has the heart of a pastor. He has the heart of a man who is concerned for the sheep of, uh, of Jesus Christ. And this is something that we see not only in Peter, we see this in the other apostles as well. How many times did we see the Apostle Paul speaking over and over again uh, to his readers and he refers to them as beloved? We see this in James. As a matter of fact, a few years ago I had done a a series of sermons uh, uh, through the book of James. And one of the things that I found very interesting was that, James oftentimes would use the whole range of kind of address uh, to speak to his congregation. And there were those times when he would call them brethren. And there were those times when he would call them beloved. There were those times when he would speak to them in very straightforward ways and almost sounding very harsh Ye adulterers and adulterers, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. And he used the whole range, we might say, of forms of address in order to spur them on to the type of living that God, was call, that God is calling us to. Well, Peter is doing the same thing. He has, again, this, this, this care and this concern. We saw this also in 1 uh, in Peter. Well, we didn't see it, but it's in 1 Peter as well. In First Peter chapter 5, Peter says this, he says, The elders which are among you I exhort, listen to what he says, Who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Do you see how he keeps referencing the second coming of Christ? He sees himself as an elder, as a pastor. Listen to what he goes on to say in verse 2 of chapter 5 of 1 Peter. Feed the flock of God which is among you. You see, this is his pastoral responsibility, to feed the flock. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. What is Peter saying here, again, to his fellow elders? What is Peter saying here to all those who have pastored uh, in, in the church of Jesus Christ and are pastoring? The responsibility is to feed. The responsibility is to stir up. The responsibility is to take oversight of the soul. And so, again, these things Peter is making an emphasis on. Why does he do this? Because he understood what his commission was. You remember there in John twenty one, uh, after Peter had denied the Lord and, and the Lord Jesus Christ very compassionately, but like very compassionately, but, but very 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 firmly we might say. Uh, he he teases out of Peter in a sense this this, this confession of love. I I love to look at that. Uh, Of course, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, uh, knew what Peter's mind was, but there's a sense in which the Lord wanted Peter to hear come out of his own mouth the fact that he loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And then because he loved the Lord Jesus Christ, what did he say to him? Well, you remember John 21, 17. there, There was the Lord Jesus Christ asking him repeatedly, Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? And Peter saying what he says, And then he saith to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep and so you see when when Peter writes this epistle when he speaks to his people as beloved it's because he understands that there have been a particular flock of Jesus Christ given to his care and he loves them And he refers to them as beloved. And because of that, he'll warn against the false teachers. And because of that, he'll he'll exhort them to look to the word of God, which is a light that shines in a dark place. And because of of that, he'll warn them of the persecutions to come. And even of the scoffers who who, who will always be there. And he'll say to them, stand fast in the faith. Be the type of people who live holy and godly lives in this world. Why? Because your Lord is coming back. That great shepherd of the sheep is coming back for his flock. And this is again what Peter says, and this is the, the, the emphasis that he makes. And so what we see here, as I said before, is something of Peter's uh, pastoral heart. Now, this pastoral heart, as I said before, uh, is seen in the other apostles as well. Uh, there's a passage of Scripture that I think is uh, really encouraging along these lines that we see uh, Paul in uh, Philippians uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, we see Paul's, uh, again, uh, love for his people. Listen how how Paul addresses the, the Philippians. And again, this, this element of, of love for the people of God. Listen to what he says. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved. And long for my joy and my cry, and my crown. So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Listen to the affection there. Again, therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown. So stand, stand fast in the Lord. This is exactly what Peter's going to do. He's calling us to stand fast in the faith. Yes, there are mockers. Yes, there are scoffers. But you, my dearly beloved, stand fast. You see, there's a sense in which the most tender affections are, are, are exercised in order to bring about the most holy of living. This is what these pastors are doing. This is what these men of God are doing. And so again, Peter is writing, as I said before, as this great, pastor who has this great love uh, for, the, for the people of God. But his pastoral, uh, his pastoral motivation uh, comes to us not only by way of the love that he has for the people of God, but also in the, in the instrument that he uses to move them along. What is the instrument that he uses to move them along? What is the instrument that he uses to advance them in holiness? What is the instrument that he uses in order that they might not be swept away by the mockers and the scoffers? He uses the word of God. And we're not surprised at this, are we? We're not surprised at all by this. Because we know, we understand that over and over again, it is the Word of God that secures to the people of God the promises of God. It's the Word of God that the Spirit of God uses in order to grow us and advance us in the faith. It's the Word of God that's given as an instrument or an implement uh, implement in our warfare. And so what Peter does is he draws back to the Word. Did you see that in verse 1? The second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you. Here is Peter once again, understanding that his time is short. You remember he said that in chapter 1, don't you? In chapter 1, he speaks of the fact that he will soon leave this tabernacle. So what does he do? He takes pen in hand and he writes in order that these truths might be with us forever. In a sense, Peter is saying, I'll not be with you, but the word of God will be with you. I'll not be with you, but the spirit of God can use this word which is being written to be with you. And so again, Peter is showing this pastoral heart and concern. And what is he doing? He is drawing people back to the holy word of God. Do you see why we preach the word of God? you see why when we come here, we emphasize the scripture? You see, when, how, how the, when we get together, what are we doing? Are we just talking about things in general? No, we're emphasizing the word of God. We're asking one another, how is the word of God flourishing in your life? How have you seen the power of the word of God in your life lately? Have you seen the power of the word of God in your life lately? Peter coming back to and making this great emphasis on the word of God. And again, that's what we see by way of his pastoral oversight, always using the instrument of the word of God. Isn't this why why he said in in, uh, chapter 1, verse 19, he says, we have this more sure word of prophecy. You know, there was Peter with that phenomenal experience on the Mount of Transfiguration. But what does he say? He says, we have a more sure word of prophecy. And it's that word of prophecy that you and I do well to take heed unto as a light that shines in a dark place. And so here is Peter again, once again, making this emphasis on the Holy Scripture. Well, you see, this is Peter, as I said before, uh, reminding us of these things uh, based on the fact of his pastoral uh, concern for the people. But the other thing the other thing that I want you to see here, by way of which Peter is writing to them and by way of which Peter is stirring them, stirring, stirring them up, the reason why he has to do this is because, secondly... We have a tendency to neglect that which is vital to the well-being of our souls. You may not think that this is the case. And let me say this. I, I have to admit, I'm speaking to, to a congregation here this morning who are faithful in their attendance on the, the worship of God on the day that he's appointed. And so there is a sense in which you being here, you are not neglecting the, 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 uh, uh, the, the importance of your soul. But your soul, again, must be nourished not just on the Lord's day. It must be particularly nourished on the Lord's day. I hope that your soul will be nourished in the preaching of the word. I hope your soul will be nourished in the joining in the Lord's supper. And so there is a real nourishment that is to take place on this day that God has given. But your soul must be nourished throughout the week as well. And as I said before, sadly, we have a tendency to neglect the well-being of our soul. Why do I say this? Why say this? Number one, by way of observation, although that's not the most important. We see and we know our our friends that sometimes they're on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ and they start out with such great zeal. We have conversations with them and we think, oh, what great things this man or this woman will be able to do. And in the process of time, what seems to happen? Well, life seems to quote-unquote get in the way wrongly. We misprioritize things. And rather than, again, prioritizing the worship of God and living life to the fullness of what He's enabled us or called us to do, we make our atten- we draw our attention and focus on, on, on lesser things. And through that, again, we, we neglect the well-being of our soul. But there, the other reason why I say this is, is specifically because the Scripture warns of, this, warns of us of this as well. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, the writer, again, along the same lines, he, he warns, and notice what he says. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to these things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. That word slip is a very interesting word. It's it's I don't know if you've ever had, if any of you have ever had the uh, this, this situation, you may wonder why I'm playing with my ring because the illustration has to do with the ring. <laughs> right now, my ring really can't come off, it's a little warm. But those of us who work outside, you know sometimes that when the weather is cold, that the ring will slip right off. And we may not even be aware that the ring has slipped off. And that's the picture that the writer of Hebrews is, going, is giving here. Be aware, be careful that you don't let these things slip. That inadvertently it, it falls off. That inadvert- I'm not saying you're gonna, your salvation is going to fall off, but the things that are necessary for the well-being of your soul. You wake up, like Tuesday morning maybe. Let's use Tuesday as an example. you got a busy day. You forget to spend time in prayer. You don't spend time in the Word of God. Again, you need to be careful. Does that mean your spiritual life is ended then? No. But again, it's this pattern that can begin to develop. And so again, we have a tendency to neglect the well-being of the soul. And the Christian is, if anything else, an individual who understands the importance of the soul. The words of Jesus Christ reverberate Within him, what will profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? You see, that's what the Christian is. The Christian understands and sees the value of the soul and that everything must be subsumed under that. Yes, I have a life to live. Yes, I have a family to provide for. Yes, I have work that has to be done. Yes, I have this to do, but the soul. And so when Peter writes, again, he writes to stir up. Why? Because we're prone, as I said before, to forget about the importance of these things. And therefore he writes, and I like what he does. He says here again in verse one, again, I, I now write unto you in both which to stir up your pure, pure minds by way of remembrance. A couple of things that I find exciting here. Here is this whole idea of stirring up. We find it a couple of times in the scripture, maybe not as many as some other ideas that we find. You remember Paul says that Timothy, stir up the gift that is in you. You know, we we hope to develop something about spiritual gifts here shortly in in the life of our congregation. One of the things you need to understand about spiritual gifts is that they oftentimes have to be stirred up. They can lie dormant and they ought not. And so so there is Peter, there is Peter talking about, there's Paul talking about stirring up the gift that is in you. But what I like what Peter is doing here is this. Notice what he says. I want to stir up your pure mind. I love this thought. Here is Peter not so much aiming at stirring up the affections. The affections must be stirred. Here is Peter stirring up not so much the religious emotions. They ought to be stirred. I hope they are. I hope you're moved, uh, again, to to love the Lord Jesus Christ deeper and better. I hope you're moved to, to do more things for his glory. I hope there is a sense of elation when you hear the word of God being preached. But Peter is not addressing himself to the affections, nor is he addressing himself to the emotions. They may come in, but he's addressing himself primarily to the mind. Oh, the mind. This gift that God has given to us. Here we are, we've spoken on being made in the image of God. One One of the signal marks of being made in the image of God is this gift of rationality. God has given us minds. Why? In order that he might communicate with us. God has given us a revelation written. Why? In order that we might read and have fellowship and communion with him. And so what does does Peter want to do here as the pastor who loves his people? What does he want to do? He wants to stir up their mind. Oh, you see, to give ourselves over again in our minds to the things of God. You've heard me say this before, the wonder and the beauty and the excitement of worshiping God with all of your mind. Can I say this to the younger ones here? Your minds are being developed. Your life is in front of you, gifted with intelligence, gifted with youth. Your mind can, be invo- can, can just grow. Can I ask you, can I suggest to you, use your mind in all of its capacities, but put everything under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Let Christ crown your intellect. You see the stirring up of the mind. This is what the scriptures call us to, and I'm. And as I said before, I love that idea. Peter could be making here an appeal to the emotions. I think the emotions will be included. Peter here could be making an appeal to the affections. I think the affection can be uh, included. But he makes himself, He makes a, the appeal primarily to the mind. Now, Kristen, do you know how important your mind is? You see, I don't care how advanced the, the, the mind may or may not be. I'm not talking here about a degree of education. I'm talking about the mind as a gift that God has given uniquely to you. And yes, you can glorify God in that mind. And Peter's saying, I want to stir up your mind. But you notice what he said about the mind? He says, you're pure mind. It's a wonderful picture, isn't it? A pure mind. A couple of things involved here contextually that we should touch on. The pure mind here is probably a reference to a mind not infected by the false teachers, chapter 2. It's probably also a reference to a mind uh, not uh, affected by the scoffers. But there is something here about, as a matter of fact, I think the, uh, the ESV says you're sincere mind, I believe is what it says. And so there's, a, there's another element there, uh, this idea of sincerity, and so again there's, there's nothing dividing the mind there's no there's no, no nothing feigned in the mind of the Christian. But I think that we should emphasize the reality of, of the moral content and the spiritual content of that word pure. Oh my Christian my, my Christian brothers and sisters you see the, this 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 beautiful thing of a pure mind. Isn't a wonderful thing isn't it? The mind again what a vast vast thing it is. What a, what what a, what a bundle of potential the mind is. But the mind is to be kept pure, isn't it? The mind is to be guarded. You see, and this is why I say that everything about the mind is to be under the lordship of Jesus Christ. There's certain things, you remember we said it a few weeks back, certain thoughts have no business being in our minds. We want to keep the mind pure. God is able to do that. And should the mind be sullied, there's, there's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us. Isn't it wonderful? You see, the mind, again, as I said before, Peter speaking about again sir, stirring up uh, your pure minds, but how does he do it? He does it by way of remembrance, and so this brings us to the third point. Then, he, number one, he was he was stirring up, uh, uh, he was bringing to remembrance uh, the uh, uh, the promise of the Lord Jesus, uh, the promise of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of his pastoral love. Uh, number two, he is doing this because we have a tendency, again, to neglect that, that which is vital and important for our soul. But number three, he's doing this because this is the command of, of, of the Lord himself, this, this command uh, of his return. Kind of, a, kind of an interesting expression, uh, the idea of the, re, of the return of Jesus Christ being connected to the idea of a command. Now, it's interesting for a number of reasons. It's interesting because we don't often think of the return of Christ as a command. But what we'll see is primarily this that what what Peter is aiming at here is this. It is the command of his return, primarily by way of everything that it entails as to what we are to be doing as we await his return. The command of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what I want you to see before we develop that is the fact that once again, Peter is going back to the writings. To stir up your mind by way of remembrance. These things that you know. How do you know these things? Well, you have the holy prophets. There they are in the Old Testament. I think of, of a passage of scripture here in, in 2 Peter 3. Peter is going to be talking about those new heavens and new earth. Well, this is not an idea that's new to Peter. This is an idea that Isaiah spoke about in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17. There's coming a, a new heaven and a new earth. And so Peter is able to say, listen, I'm stirring up your mind by way of remembrance as to what the holy prophets of old have written, even what he said in chapter 1. These themes that keep reoccurring, these themes that keep coming back, these these themes that form the fabric of the truth of the word of God. And so Peter, again, calling them back to the word of God. You see, this is the mark really of all true Christian teaching and preaching is that it draws us back to the word of God to consider Jesus Christ, to remember Jesus Christ. And so that's what we see here, the emphasis that Peter is giving. But I think there's a couple of other uh, ways in which we can understand uh, uh, this idea about the, uh, the command of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, again as Peter says here look here in verse two that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us the apostles of our Lord of the Lord and Savior and as I said before the idea here is this is that the apostles are giving or relating the commandments that the Lord Jesus Christ gave and in this text in chapter three it's primarily centering on his return why do we put it why does he put it in the context of a command well I would suggest Three reasons as to why that is the case. I think it's put in the form of a command because of what we are called to do as we wait for the return of Christ. We're called to watch and to wait for his return. That's a command. You remember the, the parable of the, of the, of, of, of the virgins, the, the five wise and the five uh, foolish? Uh, you remember there were those who, who, who kept themselves and, and who were looking for the return of the Lord and they were commended. And there were the foolish vir- virgins who didn't keep watch. And so again, there is this command to watch and to wait for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how do we do this? I think we do this, as I said before, by having our mind focused on the word. We do this by not being carried away by the false uh, teaching of the false teachers, nor by being influenced by the, sco- by the mocking of the scoffers. We watch and we wait. Yes, we know what the world is saying. And again, we, we, kind of, we know what the world is saying, but we know what, what God has said in His Word. And we use that kind of a framework, didn't we, when we looked at the, at the death of Jesus Christ and of the resurrection. On that Good Friday, you remember, we looked at the words of sinners around the cross. Yes, sinners will always have their say. They'll have their words. But when it's all said and done, God has the final word. And that's why we watch and wait, because we believe that God has spoken. We believe that when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, God was saying something there. And he's saying something not only on that day, but he's saying something on a future day. Yes, you see, you remember what we said. He validated everything that Jesus said and taught. That's what the resur- that's one of the things that the resurrection does. And so we watch and we wait. The second thing that we see by way of how this uh, return of the Lord Jesus Christ has an element of a command to it is is seen in the the sense that the Scripture commands us, the Lord Jesus Christ commands us, that we are to occupy until He comes. What does that mean? We are to be about our Lord's business, about our Lord's uh, concerns. Now, we know and we understand that being about our Lord's business doesn't mean that we all have to be in in what we call full-time Christian ministry, but what it means is this, is that in our life's callings, in our vocations, in the things that God has equipped us to, enabled us to do, what do we do? We do it to the glory of God so that the work of your hands are not merely the work of your hands. They are, again, the imprint of the grace of God upon you and that grace being seen in all the things that you do. You can do it that way. I'm saying to you, you don't have to just live and work for your own glory. What good is that? But to live and work for the glory of God, to occupy for the Lord Jesus Christ until he returns. And the third thing that we see by way of a command is, is of course, the command to preach the gospel. The command to make disciples. The command, uh, again, to baptize believers. Over and over again, this idea that the church is to be about the business of God until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. And that's what we're doing here. We're here, again, doing our Lord's bidding. We're hearing His word being preached. We're joining with one another in fellowship. We will be participating, again, in the holy table. These things again that our Lord again commanded, these things that we do in order to show to a watching world that it is, by, it is by the word of the Lord Jesus Christ that we will live our lives. And so here is Peter again, as I said before. He is acting as uh, this very loving pastor, this one who, who, loves his, who loves the people that Jesus Christ has, has bled for. Here he is again, uh, stirring us up uh, by way of remembrance. These minds of ours, oh my brothers and sisters, engage the mind for the glory of God. Here he is again, calling us back to the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ has made commandments for has given commandments uh, to us while we await his return. The command to preach the word, the command to believe the word, the command to occupy, the command again to watch and to wait. And so my brothers and sisters, in weeks to come, we will consider uh, this third chapter. And we will see concerning the, the glorious return of our Lord Jesus Christ. It will give us an opportunity to maybe spend some time on, on that very important subject of, of, of eschatology. Uh, the return of our of our Lord and Savior coming in glory. A very important subject matter that sometimes is overlooked. We'll have to take some time to consider that. But what we, what we want to primarily see is how Peter is using all this to drive us, as it were, to live these holy and godly lives. Go back again to the end of the chapter here. And notice what he says here in verse 17. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before. What things? The things of the false teachers, the things of the scoffers, the reality of the word of God as the light that shines in the dark place. Seeing ye know these things, be le- beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness but in the growing grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, here we have the word of God in front of us. May we live again according to the fact that our glorious Savior is coming back for his church. May we be watching for him. May we, may we, may we be ready for him. May we turn a deaf ear to the scoffing and to the mocking of an unbelieving